If you have your Bibles, let's open together to the book of Colossians. We started chapter 2 last week. We're uh, picking up with verse 6 this week, and we're going to read through verse uh, 15. So Colossians 2, verse 6 through 15. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word together. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily." And you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith and the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So, Briar's ice cream, I know we're, uh, we're bluebell country here, so for the sake of illustrations, allow me to deviate slightly. The Briar's ice cream uh, company had a rather brilliant marketing campaign a couple years ago. Uh, here's how it looked. The billboard sign simply read this. It asked a question. It asked, do you remember when ice cream was just ice cream? And underneath that, in in smaller letters, it said, our ingredients, milk, sugar, natural flavors. And and that word just was emphasized uh, on the billboard. Remember when ice cream was just ice cream? Um, They're they're kind of throwing a little subtle punch there. Did you catch it? In other words, you know, there's a difference, you know, even among ice cream companies. There, There are some that add so many additives preservatives and and chemicals to their ice cream. Can you really call it ice cream anymore? Well, not us, not Briars. We're just, we're we're keeping it simple, Uh, just the basics, just sugar, just milk, just natural flavors. Um, Briars is is actually onto something bigger than just ice cream. They're onto something that all of us, as, as human beings, as consumers, um, that we all bump into. And, and here, here, here it is in, in, in a nutshell. Sometimes, in order to heighten our experience of, of something, what we often sacrifice um, is purity and quality. In other words, if we're going to have a heightened experience with something, if we want a heightened experience with a, a product or with ice cream or something else, we're going to have to sacrifice quality. Uh, we're likely to. And you might go, like, well, where do we see that? 
Um, remember the, the promise of technology? We're going to streamline your life. You need a smartphone. You need the new Galaxy. You need the new you know, LG. You need the new Apple phone. Why? Because it's going to streamline. It's going to make your life efficient. But what else has it given us? It's given us something else just to be addicted to in our life. So in that sense, it's not helpful. Um, maybe you didn't know this about like our, our food, um, but food, like our produce, when it's picked and when it's removed from the vine or when it's removed from the tree or taken out of the ground, it loses about 30% of its nutrients in the first three days. But nobody tells you that, right? So much of the nutrients are lost, uh, the quality of it's lost over time as it's transitioned from, you know, farm uh, to table. Uh, we can do the same thing with Christianity. Uh, we can do the same thing with this, this sacred religion that, that God has given us um, in order to, you know, experience greater benefits, deeper, more real benefits. Sometimes what we can do is sacrifice the quality of it. And Paul is kind of taking a page out of Breyer's book here so to speak, um, because what he's doing is he's coming back to this church in Colossae, and he's saying, friends, it's not complicated. Um, There's nothing you need in addition to what I've told you. Um, There's nothing that I gave you that is superfluous or extra uh, that you need to take away. All I gave you was Jesus, Him and Him crucified, Him and His new creation, Him and His power. In other words, if you have Him, you need nothing else. It's not Jesus plus something is everything. It's just Jesus. If you have Him, you have it all. Um, two things I want us to uh, focus on this morning according to this passage. The first point is, is this, is walking in the world. What does that look like? What does it look like to walk in the world? And then second, uh, what does it look like to walk in Jesus? So first, walking in the world, and then second, walking uh, in Jesus. Uh, for this first point, um, let's revisit uh, what's happening in Colossae. Uh, and the more I studied this this week, the more I realized how much Colossae and we here in North Texas uh, share in common. Uh, I think what's happening in their culture is very, very similar to what's happening here in North Texas. And here's what I mean by that. In a newsletter I sent out to supporters for our church plant a couple months ago, uh, I was trying to explain like what's happening to the demographics in, in North Texas. And one of the ways I did that was comparing uh, Whataburger to In-N-Out Burger Um, because, you know, there's been 120-plus corporations that have moved their headquarters to the Dallas-Fort Worth area in the last year, and over 40 of them have come from California. And so with with all the Californians kind of moving to North Texas, they want their burger joint. They want In-N-Out Burger, right? They don't want Whataburger. They want what they want. And so what's, what's kind of happening here in, in, in North Texas is this clash of, of different kinds of people with different kinds of background, with different kinds of tastes, all trying to live in the same exact geographic space. And that's exactly what's happening in Colossae. Remember, geographically, it's Greek and everything that comes with it and all of its, its pagan religion and all of its, its, its many and multiple gods. Uh, but the Jewish, and the fancy word for this is the diaspora, it's, it's the people that have left the Holy Land, who have left Jerusalem, who have moved into Asia, and who are now working, living, and dwelling in the city of Colossae. So you have these people that are coming in from outsiders, and they've got their own beliefs, they've got their own background, they've got their own norms, trying to live and, and trying to be a church, trying to be a church body in Colossae. 
in an entirely Greek area. Um, so it's always this mix and mashup and all of these different values um, that are clashing. So first, from, from, the, from the Jewish side, first thing I want us to see is, is some religious residue. Uh, religious residue. And, and maybe you've noticed this before, but there are some things that in their early days um, that are pure and that are good, and then over time they kind of lose their punch. Uh, here's kind of a, an, an allegory. Uh, let's say you love fishing. That in your free time, that if you have, you know, margins and time to spare, you love to fish. And you love it so much, you decide, boy, I would love to do this with other people. So you decide to start a fishing club. So you find a place to meet, and you send out invites, and you invite people to come, you know, to talk about fishing. And when you're having this, this club and when you're having this meetings, you're talking about, you know, what kind of string do you use? What kind of lures do you use? What kind of fish do you like to catch? You're having conversations. And then this, this club kind of becomes, uh, starts to become like a fundraiser. And then you need like, a, um, like somebody who's going to be like a moderator or a leader of the group, a chairman. Uh, and then at some point, you kind of look up in this whole process and you go, I've, I've, you know, I've stopped fishing. I spent so much time, you know, getting all these people together, talking about fishing, discussing fishing, sharing stories about fishing. I actually forgot what this whole thing was about, which was fishing itself. Uh, we can do that with Christianity. And what's happened since the Old Testament now moving into the New Testament is this religion that has formed, and I'm using now that term somewhat negatively, um, this, this religion called Judaism. Judaism goes all the way back to Abraham, this grassroots movement with Abraham and his children and with circumcision, and now it, it's, it's, it's blossomed and morphed into this thing that Saul, now Paul, who would be a poster child for, um, now called Judaism. It had moved from this grassroots movement to like this external religion, right? It had moved from the heart to the hands, uh, it had moved, you know, think about it like in terms of, of like a mansion. Like on the outside, and Jesus actually uses this parable and this allegory when he's talking to the, to the Pharisees and to the Judaizers, is you're like a house or you're like a whitewashed tomb. On the outside, you look great, but inside it's empty. It's now become a religion of the hands and not a religion of the heart. It is, uh, it's now empty. And so people with this background, just like Paul had, have moved to Colossae, and they're trying to do church. And what that means is they brought these, um, again, using the language of verse 8. I look back at the text. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. That's a little jab there from Paul to the Judaizers, these human traditions. And what we know from other letters in the New Testament, what, what Paul is here is kind of taking a jab at is, is the practice of circumcision, right? The putting off of, of the flesh. The Judaizers were saying, and this happened in Galatia, this happened in other churches, is, is yeah, that, that's great, you, you Greeks, you Gentiles. That's, that's great that you believe in Jesus, but if you really want to be in, if you really want to look like you're in, you've got to go back to the old ways. You've got to be old school, you got to be circumcised like us. And what Paul's saying here is, is that that is a human tradition. While, yes, that was a mark in the Old Testament, it has now been done away entirely in the New Testament. The bloody sign, the removing of flesh has been removed, right, and now replaced with baptism. 
and with the washing of the water. And so Paul is, is addressing these Judaizers, this, this religious residue, saying, you don't need that, and don't let anybody ensnare you. Don't let anybody trick you into thinking that this is how you're going to experience true Christianity, through circumcision. Now, can we as, as the church, the modern church, can we, can we do… I'm, I'm already laughing. I can't even say it. Can we not do the same thing? Man, we love, we love, love, love our 11th and our 12th commandments, ones that Jesus did not enforce, ones that Jesus did not command, but we love them. What are those? Um, I didn't put this in the questions for a community group, but this is a great question. What are those things that the modern church today that we have added to the gospel? We may not have come out and said, yes, you need Jesus and this, but by our actions, maybe by our behaviors. We've, got, we've, we've said this, that if, if, if you're going to be a true convert, yes, yes, great, you've got Jesus, but, but, but this is the mark of a true believer. What might that be? Uh, there's several. It's worth exploring. So there's, there's this residue on, on the religious side with the Judaizers, um, but there's also this, this Greek influence, right, that's, that's making its way into the church. And Paul uh, addresses them as well. What's happening is, is, is they too are kind of promising that there's this deeper experience of, of wisdom and knowledge that real believers uh, can have as well. Again, look at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, by empty deceit. Now jump ahead a segment. According to the elemental spirits of the world. Now I always read a number of commentaries before I preach on a passage but none of the commentators agreed on what that meant, on what the elemental spirits uh, meant. The closest thing, the closest equivalent that we could all agree on was, was, was like our modern manifestation of karma. Even as, as Christians, we kind, of, we kind of almost like semi-adopt this idea of, of karma. In other words, God is going to use providence and He's going to use daily occurrences in my life to kind of get back at me for rebellion and sin. It looks like this. You're traveling down the road. You didn't realize you were speeding, and you see the blue and red lights in the background. You pull over, and you think, you may not say it out loud, but you think, okay, what did I do to deserve this today? What did I do to deserve, you know, a $200 ticket? And you go, I forgot my quiet time this morning. God, you're getting me back, aren't you? I deserve it. Yeah, that's, that's, why, that's why this is happening, karma. I didn't do this good thing I was supposed to do this morning, and now God is getting back at me. Um, that, that thought pattern within the Christian mind is so faulty, and it is so unbiblical um, for a number of reasons. Uh, one is this. We know what the wages of sin is. The wages of sin is death. In other words, if God wanted to get back at us uh, early on after our first sin, I think we'd know. But we know from other writers that God does not treat us as our sins deserve. God does not operate in a karma uh, methodology or economy. And so there aren't these, these spirits, these elemental powers out there that were just going, you know, God is kind of like this person who's out there, like the Greek gods, right? Um, they're out there. They're powerful. They're cranky. You know, just, just don't do anything to agitate them. Um, that, is kind of, that, that too has kind of made its way in, into this, this Christianity and Colossae. And Paul says there too, you don't need that. 
You don't need Christ plus knowledge. You don't need Christ plus more information. If you've got Christ, you already have it all. Um, so that's what walking with the world looks like for Colossae and, and for, for us. What does it look like to actually walk uh, in Jesus? Um, I, I've said this multiple times. I love talking about our union with Christ. I love talking about that, that topic and that theology because nothing is more basic to the gospel and nothing is more central to the gospel. And let me just kind of reiterate uh, two things about our union with Christ And I've never mentioned this before, but let's go back to the Garden of Eden. Let's go back to when Adam and Eve sinned and and, and took of that fruit that they were not supposed to take. What was the first question that God asked in the garden after they had had eaten and God knew it? What was the first question? You know what our first question usually is? When our kids rebel or when our peers rebel, it's why? Why did you do that? But that's not God's first question. Remember what his first question was? Where are you? It was a question of geography. It was a question of space. It was a question of relationship. And and think about it. When you're in the grocery store and you lose a loved one, you lose a child, the first question out of your mouth is, is not, why are you rebelling, child? The first question out of your mouth, because union is so sacred to you and your child, is where are you? You are lost. You are gone. We are now separated. And so even from Genesis 3, we get this hint of God's desire to be one and in fellowship with His people. Where are you? Where did you go? Yeah, and the other idea is this. Um, you know, yesterday was a big day in football, especially if you're a Texas or Oklahoma fan. Um, and, and I did not attend the University of Texas, first to say. Um, we spent a good chunk of our, our life in Austin. That's where we fell in love with football, so it just kind of stuck with me uh, from there. Um, but, but think about it in, in terms of, like, your sports and your sports team. So I was watching part of the game on TV yesterday in between, you know, um, household chores and um, when you watch a football game and you're invested and it's, it's your team, um, you, know, you, you tend to kind of animate yourself on the couch as, as plays are being made and as things are happening and as, you know, hits uh, are happening. And, you know, in the, in the case of Oklahoma, if they were your team, you know, if somebody were to ask you after the game who won, you would say, we won. Or in our case, we lost. Um, we never actually like paused to think about like the way we the way we talk um, because I'm not a player. I never attended. Uh, I'm just a fan. So why in the world would I say we? Uh, it's because you know in some ways I've associated myself uh, with that team. I, f- I feel uh, as as if, as if I'm a part, right? And what we're saying in the gospel in a much grander and more cosmic uh, sense is that when we talk about we. Uh, the church, and when we talk about we, God, and God's people, um, that's actually what we're saying, is that even though He be in heaven and our brothers and sisters be at the opposite end of the globe, um, somehow supernaturally, because of our association with Christ, uh, we're not just a collection of individuals, uh, we're a body. We're a global church. We're a global bride, past, present, and future. 
And though he be in heaven and we be here on earth, we have communion and we have fellowship with him. Again, we're not a liturgical church because, you know, liturgy is the right way to do it. Um, That's not our Jesus plus something in the Presbyterian Church of America. Why are we liturgical? Because what we're trying to say is that everything we do in the worship service is bringing us back to our fellowship and our union with Christ. The call to worship is, is God calling us into the worship of Him. When we pray a prayer out of adoration or we sing a song, we are singing to God collectively together. When we confess, we are confessing to God as if He were sitting in, in, across the table from us in a chair. We're confessing to Him. And when we offer our pastoral prayer, that's not just something that we do because the pastor is the one offering it. It's as if we're speaking to God face to face and can make our needs known from Him. We study the Word. Why? Because the Word is God made flesh, and we're listening to Jesus as we listen to His Word. And when we come to the communion table, we're sitting at the table with Jesus and fellowship with Him. Everything about our worship service is taking us back to our union and our fellowship and our communion with with, with each other and with Jesus Himself. Now do you see why we do it this way? We're trying to do what Colossians is teaching us, and that's centering everything we're doing around the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This world has an access. access. This world has a greater reality. This world has a throne of power, and it's occupied. And that is our Lord Jesus Christ. So how can we design everything we do to bring us back to Him, to sing to Him, to draw our strength from Him, to worship Him, to thank Him, to associate with Him? Our union with Christ is everything. What does this union provide? Um, Paul offers quite a list. Let me just highlight two things in this passage. One is this sense of fullness. Uh, Notice uh, Paul's play on words here. In verse 8, in that first sentence, he talks about uh, a deceit that's empty, that promises something that can't deliver, but he uses that word empty. But look at his language in verse 9. For in Him, meaning in Christ, the whole fullness, not partiality, not emptiness, but the fullness of deity dwells bodily. In verse 10, and you, O church, you, Colossae, you, New City, have been filled in Him. You've been filled with fullness. That means if you have a brim, you have, been, you have been filled to the very tip top. Now, here's, here's how kind of life feels like to me as a believer. You know, if, if I'm a vessel that's supposed to hold liquid, I, I feel like one of those old barrels that you see in the cartoons that's got holes in it and cracks down the seam, that the more water you put in, the more water comes out. And, and sometimes I feel like I should be so much further along in my Christian walk at this point um, than I thought I would be as a 42-year-old. I'm 42, right? 41? 41. 41. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm sorry. That would be much further along in my growth and sanctification than I am. I, I feel like that barrel. I feel empty. And Paul says, well, on the one hand, you know, that, 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 that's, that's, that's true. How do you fill a barrel full of holes? Uh, it sounds like a fool's errand, but what Paul says is, is that through the work of Christ, it's as if Christ has taken you this barrel and He's put you in a larger vessel, and that barrel He has just submerged below the waterline. So now you're full. Even though you're full of holes, even though you're broken, even though you're dealing with the flesh, 
Even though you're not where you thought you would be at this age and stage in your walk with Christ, you are full in every sense of the word, though you're full of cracks. It's because you are in Christ. Just that preposition alone is used nine times in these verses, either with Him or in Him. Nine times Paul is highlighting this union with Christ. You are full. And you might say, okay, you know, I'm I believe that, Um, but the question for us as believers is, is do you really bank on that? Do we act full? Do we believe that we're full? Um, What this implies uh, for us in in our Christian walk and our humble living before God is, is, is we never have to, like, engage with this task of trying to find something new. Engage with something different, um, because what this gospel promises us is if you have Jesus, you don't have to find something new. You just have to engage something that you already have in Christ. So, you know that fear of missing out? Like, maybe somebody has found the secret. Somebody has found the key to Christianity. Maybe some, you know, small church in some other part of the world has really found this true key to growth and fullness in Christ. And you know what Paul here is saying is stop. You're already submerged in Him fully. You already have Christ to His fullness, who is also the fullness of God, make no mistake. You already have Him. The question is, are you using Him? You don't need anything beyond Him. You don't need anything less than Him. If you have Christ, you have everything. You're already full. Now, how do you engage it? How do you believe it? That's the hard part. The other aspect of our union with Christ that we see in this passage is, is security. Um, is, okay, once we're in Christ, how do we know that we're actually going to stay in? Because at some point in, in our Christian walk, we, when we, the more we see our sin, the more we see our struggle against the flesh, we're going to ask the question, is grace going to run out? Is God going to say, you know, is He going to throw His notes in the air and say, okay, we're done here. I had an invisible envelope here of, of, of credit in your favor, and now you have superseded that. We're done. And interestingly enough, you know, Paul's language and his reference here to circumcision um, is actually um, a nudge um, and it's in, in subtle in ways um, to our security in Christ. Um, think about this. Go all the way back. This is, this is, you know, the middle of Genesis, chapters 12 through chapter 17, when God kind of issued circumcision. Again, it was a bloody sign. It was something that was done only to the males, you know, in, in Abraham's family. Um, there was a separation of flesh. Um, there was pain. And once that flesh was separated, uh, it could never be brought back in. It was dead. It was removed. And it was gone. And that was the mark um, that God gave um, to His people as a public identifier of, of who, is, who is going to be the recipient of, of His covenant blessings. And the one thing I love about circumcision in the Old Testament and baptism in the New Testament is, is we're supposed to wrestle with this aspect of, of how is somebody so small and capable of, of, of zero obedience, unable to worship God, 
Why is someone that small, that vulnerable, um, why are they getting blessings from God? And that's simply this, is because our God is a generous and merciful, caring, and loving God. Uh, Before that circumcised child in the Old Testament or before our baptized children in the New Testament can offer God or you anything, He's already putting His favor on you and giving you blessings that you don't deserve at a time when you don't even have the mind to ask for it. That's how gracious and that's how much our God initiates with His people. But go back to this, this bloody sign. It's a removal. It's a painful process. It's a separating. There's a living and there's a dying and the reason why we don't practice circumcision as a, as a sacrament in the church today, thank the Lord, is because Christ took that bloody sign upon Himself. So no longer will we be associated with the shedding of blood, but now we're associated with Christ who shed His blood on our behalf. So the sign is no longer bloody. The sign is the washing of the water. We're brought in. Again, not because of anything we've done, because we can't secure that. But, but again, we, we talked about this when we studied Ephesians. Paul uses that same language here that he did in that prayer uh, in chapter 3. Did you notice it? Verse 6, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Verse 7, Rooted and built up. Remember being rooted and established? You are rooted in Christ. You are established in Christ. Not because of anything you've done, but because of His work on your behalf. And that's why you can have security. It's because you did not secure your status with the Father. You did not secure your eternal salvation, but Jesus did. That's why He can say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, because He carried the yoke and because He carried the burden. And He says, will you be humble enough to believe and receive it? That I rooted you in this great gospel, that I established you in this gospel. We don't like coming to economies uh, empty-handed. We want to contribute, uh, but we can't in this, in this case. God says He does it all. And so that security we have is not, it's not something that human hands can provide. It's not with an earthly circumcision. It's not with an outward mark. It's with an inward circumcision that Christ performs on our hearts. Uh, let me close with this. Can Jesus, can He really be enough for us as the church? Can we really get to a point in our spiritual lives where we say, I treasure Jesus more than I treasure anything else, and I truly believe in my heart of hearts, if I have Him, I have everything. Um, this was a, a number of years ago. Our, our family was taking a trip to, uh, to Scotland, and in the process of traveling to Scotland, all of our luggage was lost. And so we were over there for about 10 days and kind of taking a tour of the island. And, you know, our, our luggage was kind of following us in that, in that courier van. And it was about a day behind us everywhere we stopped. So for the whole 10 days, uh, we had the same, you know, pair of clothes. So that means everything. We had, you know, we, all we had was what we had on and what was in our backpack. So that meant we had to do laundry, you know, every time we got to some place, you know, wrapped in towels because we had no, no spare clothes. Uh, we were really on vacation and in a beautiful place with nothing, with just each other and just the clothes on our back. And, you know, for a number of reasons, um, that's one of the vacations we talk about the most when we talk about family vacations in the past. 
Uh, it was memory-making in, in that sense. But we learned a very valuable lesson at the end of that trip. It was this. We've got more than we need. We always pack, and we always carry more than we need. You, you actually need less than you think. And in a spiritual way, Paul is, is saying, you know, sometimes it takes us, um, it takes a trial, it takes a hardship for us to learn that lesson. And that's what hardship does. That's what being without some luxuries does, is it reminds us that if we have Christ, we have everything. And that's just a luxury. We don't need it. It's not Jesus plus this. It's not Jesus minus this. Is if you have Jesus, you already have everything. And as you grow and as you walk in the Christian life, you can get to the point to where you say, I don't need as much as I thought I did. I can actually survive on less. Why? Because you already feel full. You feel securely rooted in Christ. You feel like sins past, present, and future have been washed. You feel like your communion and your fellowship with Him is so secure because He provided it. Nothing else compares. I hope that for us. I hope that for me. I hope that Christ can truly be enough uh, for us in this Christian walk. Let me pray for us and ask Him to be so. Uh, Jesus, we love You, and not in an earthly or carnal way, but because You have embodied love to us and for us. Thank You that You've made it easy in that sense that if we have You, if that we are in You, that all of our greatest fears, our greatest insecurities, all of our wonderings are answered. Thank You for um, casting none of those aside, but thank You for answering the brokenness of this world. Thank You for answering the brokenness within us. Uh, would You be enough? And would we be able to say like Paul and the Colossians that to have You, You who in the fullness uh, of all deity dwells, if we have You, we're full. Thank You that we have You in this life and we eagerly and we long for the life that is to come where we get to be with You fully. And until then, give us endurance, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.